It's Sunday, May 17th. I'm Sarah Firsty. I lead the river along with my husband, John. And we're a church community that's been in Lower Manhattan since 2004. And thank you so much for watching today's online service. You know, these past several weeks have provided an interesting learning, learning curve for our church community. We're learning new ways of connecting and supporting each other from a distance, like these YouTube videos and Zoom gatherings and blogs and texts and emails. And I just wanna to say today to all of you, good job. Let's continue to be proactive and stay connected. You know, I'm a hugger and I miss seeing you all in person and touching your shoulder, giving you a pat on the back. But for now, I'm imagining you all right here with me as I look into the camera, and that really does my heart good. You know, there is one upside, though, to doing these online services, and that's that people can join us from all over. Those who have moved away or are finding us online for the first time are able to tune in. So. A special hello to all of you. I'm glad you've joined us. And I'd like to ask just quickly that if you haven't already, could you subscribe to our YouTube channel or also perhaps leave a comment below. My husband John and I will be online ready to respond to your comment between 10.30 this morning and noon. Or if you'd like to email me, please do. I would love to hear from you. My email is Sarah, no H, at rivernyc.org. So we're in week three of a five-week series titled, How to Move Forward When No One Knows What's Next. These days, we're all living with uncertainty. We're grappling with a sense of vulnerability, mortality, and grief. And in our previous videos, available on this YouTube channel, we've taken a brief look at uncertainty and vulnerability. And today I'd like us to think about grief. The catch is who really wants to think about grief? Grief is scary, it's uncomfortable, and a lot of us worry that if we go there, we'll fall into a pit of despair and never come out but I've learned that grieving our losses is essential to a life well-lived. And that's what I wanna talk about today. Before we read today's scripture passage, I want to tell you a background story. See if you can imagine this in your mind. There was a woman who was so impacted by interacting with Jesus, that she did an unthinkable thing for a woman in her time, the first century in the Middle East. She left her family and her home to follow Jesus and become one of his disciples. She was with Jesus as he traveled from town to town. She saw miracles, she heard his teachings, she witnessed some of the most significant moments of Jesus's ministry. This woman was there when Jesus was arrested and tried. She listened as Pontius Pilate pronounced his death sentence. And she wept as Jesus left the hall and was led out to be tortured and killed. 
while the other disciples took off. She was part of a small group of women who stood near as they could to comfort Jesus as he hung on the cross. She heard his cries. She watched the Roman soldier thrust his side, his, his sword into his side. She saw him take his last breath. Then she assisted in taking the battered body from the cross and placing it in the tomb and anointing it with burial spices and preparing it for burial. This was Friday afternoon. And it's easy to imagine the anguish and the sorrow she must have experienced all Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night. The hours spent weeping, probably replaying those last moments over and over in her mind. And then Sunday morning, she set out while it was still dark to perform her final act of love for Jesus, to anoint his body with oil and spices and say her final goodbye. And this is where we pick up her story here in the Gospel of John chapter 20 the story of this remarkable woman, Mary Magdalene. Here it is. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. But Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear women, dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Why or who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, he said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Wow, so a lot happens in these 18 verses. And there are many curious details like 
who won the foot race and the size of the opening of the tomb and folded linen wrappings. We also see two angels in white, a case of mistaken identity, curiously unexplained comments like Jesus telling Mary not to cling to him and the author referring to the disciple that Jesus loved, which kind of irritates me. But here's a couple of observations. One is, I love that Mary was the first to discover the empty tomb. It wasn't one of the more well-known celebrity disciples like Peter or the one that Jesus loved or the thun sons of thunder, but a person who in that time and space was really just a second-class citizen. And I think it's really interesting that her response to the tomb was being empty was so real. It wasn't, hallelujah, he is risen as he promised. But, oh no, those creeps have stolen the corpse. And I'm also taken by Mary's reaction when she does recognize Jesus. It's not to fall down or turn her head, but it's just to rush in, close all social distance and give him a hug. Being a hugger, I really like that. But here's what strikes me most. It's that it's her grief that puts her in a place to have this amazing encounter with Jesus. Verses 10 and 11 present a key moment. It says, the disciples went home, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. They leave, she stays put. And it seems like it would have been natural for Mary Magdalene to walk back with the other two. But she stays right there in this perplexing and upsetting location. Mary made a choice to stay at the tomb, to not leave the place of pain, to grieve, to cry. And as a result, she was the first to see the risen Jesus and interact with him. And that blows me away. Because to me, it feels like Mary did a really brave thing. Because I've experienced firsthand that allowing ourselves to grieve can be hard. My first experience of grief was when I was 12 and my mom was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. She was sick for a little less than a year before she died. And during that time, my family prayed and prayed for her to be healed. I remember my grandmother telling me that we just needed to have enough faith and believe and she would be healed. It would happen. So I believed that God was going to heal her. In fact, I remember feeling sorry for the doctors because they were gonna feel so embarrassed when my mom got better and, and they had just been saying for sure she would die. And you know, sadly, this view of God and faith short-circuited my process of dealing with grief and loss. And it wasn't until I was standing by her hospital bed in her final hours that I realized she was gonna die. 
And that's so much for a little 12-year-old to take in. But because of God's love and kindness to me throughout my life, God's given me opportunities to mourn and grieve the loss of my mom in sometimes surprising ways so that I could grow and mature and move on. And this process of grieving the death of my mom took place as I aged and matured. At 12, I grieved over her absence in our home. As a young woman falling in love, I grieved the fact that she wouldn't be there for my wedding. When our kids were born in the midst of all that joy, I cried and longed to ask her for advice. During each stage of my life, I realized more fully what I had lost. And then around seven years ago, I had a remarkable opportunity that helped me in so many ways bring this season of grief some, to some kind of closure. And I feel like it was something that was just this amazing gift from God. After my mom died, my dad remarried to this wonderful woman who loved me and gave me so many wonderful things in my life. And she was my adopted mom for 35 years. And seven years ago, as she was dying at a ripe old age, I got the chance to be with her, to tell her how much I loved her and how much she meant to me and what I appreciated about her and say goodbye and pray for her. All of the things that I didn't get to do for my birth mom. I was given the gift of being able to grieve for my loss at age 12 and at the same time as a 48-year-old woman. It was painful, but it was also beautiful and I'm so thankful for that gift. So, Let's go back to my main thought for the day. Grieving our losses is essential to a life well lived. And of course, right now, there is so much pain and disruption in the world. Not to mention our dear New York City, where we've lost over 20,000 people during this pandemic. Hmm. And in our river community, just a handful of people have been sick and are thankfully recovering. But many people within our church have lost family members and friends and coworkers. And our heart goes out to you. We're all experiencing losses, big and small, but whatever in the loss, I'm confident that Jesus is there with us and will help us move forward. There's a long spiritual tradition to lament, which means to feel and express sorrow and regret, to mourn. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to it called Lamentations. But it's not easy to do, and it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. Some of us feel like we're not wired to grieve. We think, I'm a positive person. I like to think on the bright side. 
many of us compare our loss with others and think, I know folks have lost so much more than I have. How can I grieve the loss of my favorite nail salon when so many New Yorkers are losing their jobs? But they're all losses. You know, lastly, I think some people think that grieving is incongruent with faith. We, maybe we've been told we should find contentment or in all things or we're overcomers or God will make all things right. That sounds like my grandmother when my mom died. And as a result, I'm not sure she ever found closure. But like Mary Magdalene, if we allow ourselves to mourn, we will experience Jesus in a way we never could otherwise. So this leads me to my first practical suggestion. Give yourself permission to grieve. Give yourself permission to grieve. And the, the first thing I'd like to suggest is that you just narrow it down to two or three specific things. Don't judge if they're serious enough or not. I'm not kidding about grieving the loss of my favorite nail salon, by the way. If you're sad about something, it deserves to be on your list. So before I go on, think of two or three things right now. Maybe you could write them down or just make a mental note. But right now, think of two or three things. I'm gonna wait for you. Have you thought of something yet? Okay. Now that you've thought of those two or three things, then identify what you appreciated about them. What did it bring into your life? How did it make you feel? What need did it meet for you? And after you've clarified that, then express your sadness and your gratitude for that thing. This could be just as simple as saying, I'm really sad that this is no longer in my life, but I'm really grateful for what it gave me. You know, I pray that as we do this, as we step into our grief, Jesus will meet us there, leading us to even more life, more love, and more connection. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your loving kindness, presence in your life, in our life, that you are always with us, always with us, inviting us into more life, love, and connection. Help us to find you in the midst of our grief. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.